It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Embarrassment. It's one of the self-conscious emotions we all experience from time to time, some of us more often than others. In psychology, it's considered an emotion dictated by a disconnect between how we should respond or act around others and how we actually do. Given the many taboos and myths around sex and sexuality, it's no wonder that most people would be horrified if, say, a TSA agent discovered the vibrator in your carry-on, or, God forbid, you let out this loud, gassy noise during SEX. Even the word sex or vulva or testicles draws up embarrassment for many people. If you're one of them, no worries. This episode is for you and for anyone who's interested in this topic. If embarrassing matters stand in the way of pleasure in your sex life or as a whole, know that you are far, far, far from alone. Even better news, embarrassment doesn't have to stand in the way of your girl boners or whatever kind of boners you have. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and I am so thankful that you're listening. Before we dive in, a huge sponsor shout out to The Pleasure Chest, a fabulous place to shop for sex toys in a totally not embarrassing, non-intimidating atmosphere. The LA location was actually built that way on purpose with clothing filling the room when you first walk in and you can warm your way up to lube and toys and kinky stuff in the back. The staff won't be there to bug you, but they are there to help. So check them out at a brick-and-mortar location in L.A., New York, or Chicago, or hop over to thepleasurechest.com. Now, I am so pleased to welcome my dear friend and phenomenal sexuality expert, Kate Scalisi, to the show for her fourth appearance in the studio. Yay! Kate is an advocate (laughs) for the revolutionary power of pleasure inside the bedroom and out through her platform, Passion by Kate. She harnesses her science education, social justice insight, and radical empathy to empower folks to more tune in with their bodies, discover what brings them pleasure, and integrate that knowledge into their lives and relationships in ways that are both practical and powerful. A certified sex educator with a background in neuroscience and public health, Kate works with private clients, media, and other public platforms to help people understand and access their sexual pleasure in ways that are free of shame, inadequacy, and expectation. Her experiences living and loving as a person with chronic illness add an extra dimension to her perspective on what it really takes to make pleasure a priority, no matter what life throws at you. Kate's wisdom has been featured in top media outlets, including Cosmopolitan, Teen Vogue, Red Book, Women's Health, Shape, L, Live Strong, Health, and more. And she is the weekly sex and intimacy columnist for Blood and Milk. She's also a sought-after public speaker, having brought her unique blend of science and woo to esteemed institutions, including Stanford University, Yale School of Public Health, and Johns Hopkins Medical Institute. Kate has a BS in neuroscience from Stonehill College and a master's of public health from Johns Hopkins University, and currently lives in New York City with her partner of over a decade and their adorable (laughs) rescue pup. Thank you for joining me, Kate. It's so good to be back. (laughs) I love that we can talk very freely. Yes. We have been. Uh, Always. For years now. Years. About these topics. (laughs) I'm curious, what brought about that lack of embarrassment for you? I, you know, I don't even know. I, oh, I often say that I feel like I like missed 
a societal lesson of like how I'm supposed to be a woman because I was wasn't embarrassed about these topics until much later in life and when it kind of became a learned thing. And similar things like I always spoke up in in group settings and I would just, if someone tried to interrupt me, talk over them. So I always say that like I missed some of those memos along the way and it wasn't actually until grad school where I started realizing that I was supposed to be embarrassed about things. And I love that definition that you gave in the intro around kind of between what we should and what we actually are feeling, excuse me, Um, because yeah, it, it was kind of like, oh wait, have I... Was I supposed to be embarrassed this whole fucking time? <laughs> because I'm not. And that's just kind of how it is. Um, and I think I think a lot of things play into that. I was very lucky to have kind of the cool mom, if you will, growing up who was always answering questions and in, for me, for my friends. And that really created this very permissive atmosphere, not for me to just do whatever the fuck I wanted, but there were, there were still rules and <laughs> whatnot that I had to follow, but to ask anything, to talk about things, to stand my ground. And and so I think that was a really, really big part of it. And then I always, my openness about it was always rewarded again until I went to grad school. And that's a whole separate story. Um, people were always like, oh my gosh, thank you for talking about this. And they knew they could come to me for questions. So again, it, it just, kind of the situation I was in plus my personality, right? Like nature and nurture together created a really open atmosphere for me. And I've had to, and then grad school happened and I was super shamed for being open about these things. And I've had to kind of crawl my way back out in the last, you know, six years, five years, six six years, holy shit, Um, six years since and be like, oh wait, no, that's all bullshit. I like go back to not being embarrassed. Like go back to that place where you were just confident in what mm-hmm. you needed and asked for what you needed. Yeah, yeah. So when the the shaming came mm-hmm. in, that must have been really surprising. Yeah. What kind of impact did that have on you initially? Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I really had no coping mechanisms for it, quite frankly, which is a little bit embarrassing because I went to grad school in my mid-20s. I didn't go straight from college. And so I actually feel a little embarrassed about how little coping mechanisms I had and how much I, I crumbled under that pressure and that shame just because it was it was a really new experience for me. And there's certainly a level of, of privilege in that. And I'm very grateful that it wasn't until I was, you know, in my mid-20s in grad school that I had to deal with that. That's a huge, like, I'm so deeply grateful for that. And the downside of it, like I said, was I just crumbled. And um, that was really when my eating disorder got really bad and my self-esteem just, you know, plummeted. And then my confidence and my willingness to be like, hey, this is what I do. I talk about these topics and that's that. And I, it's been a pretty, you know, it's been a rough in that beautiful or brutiful, I should say, as uh, Glennon Doyle always <laughs> says, yeah. way of healing uh, a couple of years, kind of finding that a new balance of being like, okay, cool, this is really embarrassing and shameful for people. Because I think the opposite end of the spectrum was me being like, well, I'm fine with this. So clearly everyone has to be fine with this, right? Like, and just kind of heaping that on them, which doesn't actually help and doesn't make anyone feel less embarrassed or ashamed. And so I feel like now I've hit this point where when I'm working with clients, when I'm teaching workshops, I can I, I can access what that shame and embarrassment feels like and where mm. it lives in our bodies and also help people kind of work through that. That's so powerful because it gives you this incredible empathy. Mm-hmm. And I love what you said about, you know, it's not really helpful to be, woohoo, this is all great. Everyone should just get this mm-hmm. because that's a whole shooting yep, <laughs> of exactly. another form. Exactly. And, and the fact that you as someone who a lot of people see as not really embarrassable, mm-hmm. if that's a word, <laughs> to know that 
you also, we all experience embarrassment. We all do. Mm -hmm. Like, I kind of secretly hope sometimes that the TSA person will find some sex toys or something. I think that's kind of like, you know, it's amusing. I don't mm-hmm. feel embarrassed about that. But certainly, I mean, we all get embarrassed yeah. about something. We all, we all have, have these lines. like wounds and these different things. And mm-hmm. so it's, um, h- how important is it to, when it comes to sex and yeah. the things that people are embarrassed about, mm-hmm. how important is it to normalize the actual thing that, that people are oh, embarrassed about? I, I think you can't really start anywhere but there. Yeah. If if you and I actually see this mistake a lot. So um, as we were talking about earlier with my counseling clients, many of them have actually already seen a therapist. Um, and when they come to me, what has happened in their experiences, and this is you know not to put down any therapist or anything. God bless all of the therapists. Um, but for them, they they've had this experience where they didn't start with that normalizing, and they kind of the therapist went straight to fixing. And they're, they've come to me because they're like, we had this experience. It didn't fucking change a thing. And we don't know why we're still struggling and like why that didn't work. And so often when you can get underneath it and get back to what is that core piece? What is that bit of shame? What is that bit of embarrassment? Where does it come from? And do you even believe it? Right. And so it's it's part of it is me normalizing it for someone or us normalizing it for for the people we're working with and speaking to. And part of it is helping them take ownership of it. And that can be a you know, yeah, I do believe that. Cool. How do I work within that belief system? Or holy shit, I've been believing this my whole life because I was told to. And like, actually, no, absolutely not. And then they can move on from there and work from that place of like, oh, yeah, no, I don't need to hold on to this just because someone else put it on me. And that someone else could be a parent. It could be a religion. It could be society, friends, whatever. But really getting underneath it and, and normalizing it and helping them figure out how do they actually do they actually believe that? How do they mm, actually feel? About that's it? such an important question. And the whole point about giving yourself grace to have these mm-hmm. feelings and to to not shame ourselves mm-hmm. for them or to stop shaming ourselves yeah. more often. I know that's that's something that I've worked on. Mm-hmm. Pretty much everyone I'm close to at some point has gone through that. Yeah. I pulled a bunch of responses and questions from listeners. Yay. I recently did a, a big survey and embarrassment was a part of a lot of them. I'm not surprised. Yeah. So I thought maybe we could start with some normalizing. Yes, let's do it. Okay. So the first one... Uh, This person said, I'm embarrassed to ask for as much sex as I want because I feel my boyfriend will be weirded out by that. Oh, (laughs) yep. If I had a penny for every time I got a question like this. You would buy me lunch today. (laughs) I would buy dinner, (laughs) a breakfast tomorrow. Yeah, I was like, I would just, you know, treat you a whole weekend. Oh, man. So there's there's different levels in this. I think the first level is, oh, my God, I'm not supposed to have a higher sex drive than my boyfriend. Uh, and there's right. There's all these gendered expectations that society puts on us around who has the higher sex drive. And that's typically male. And obviously, I don't, I don't know the, the gender of this person who asked. But um, given the question and how it's worded. That's where I would come from. Um, And so that's the first is that and I see this all the time where I will have I primarily work with heterosexual couples and I will have the woman coming in saying my sex drive is higher and it's not that atypical. And yet society perpetuates this message that like, oh, no, he always has to have the higher sex drive. 
right? So that's like step one is just normalizing the fact that like everyone's libido is different and everyone, we all have these sexual gas pedals and these sexual breaks and everyone's is a little bit different in how sensitive they are. And if you have a really sensitive gas pedal and not as sensitive of a break, there's nothing wrong with you. That's They're all totally normal, all the combinations. It's just you and your life and your body and how you respond to sexy things in your environment. Yeah. <laughs> and so then there's the level of how do I bring this up in a way that doesn't feel embarrassing? And I always really encourage people to use media like this, to use articles that they read as a jumping off point to say like, hey, I heard about this thing. What do you think about that? And you know, in a perfect world, we wouldn't need to rely on some external sources, our quote unquote reason or our why. But that's not the world we live in. We live in a world where sex is shamed and sex is taboo. And so you like use us. <laughs> I, I tell people, like, yeah. use me, Anytime. use my articles, use these interviews. Please let them be the thing that you're like, oh, hey, well, I heard this. Or like, hey, so-and-so said she was listening to a podcast about this thing. Like you don't even have to own it entirely as a starting point. Because the more we practice things, the easier they get. Mm, and the last yeah. thing I'll say, and I know you have more, uh, the last thing I'll say is that shame really thrives in silence. And so this goes for probably every single one we're going to talk about. And so finding community and finding spaces to talk openly about this, whether or not other people's experiences in that space are exactly the same as yours, it takes the power away. I often think of shame as this like little like demon and like it's like ha, 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 I have all the power, right? Like that's exactly how I totally. it. Yeah. And when we stop being in silence about this and kind of suffering alone and in silence and thinking it's us that's broken, which is what society tells us, we'd start to take that power away. Mm, yes, give it air. Yeah. Because so much of the time, the anxiety mm -hmm. around it is so much bigger mm -hmm. than anything that's actually going to happen. Mm -hmm. That's so true. Another one I received was this. I'm embarrassed to let my partner go down on me, so much so I have never had an orgasm that way, which mm. this also is not surprising, and I know it's, it's very common too. Mm -hmm. There was a Cosmos survey from a couple of years ago involving all women, and 79% said that they worry about how they look or mm -hmm. taste when receiving oral pleasure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the thing I really want to highlight in this one, and I also have some ideas for solutions, um, is that when most of the sex advice out there talks about like adding variety and adding newness and that that's important and helpful in all sex lives especially if you're with someone longer term like you, mixing things up is good but enjoy, being able to enjoy to be able to let go and enjoy and enjoy those new things you're trying usually involves having to to shut off the things that are holding you back to look at like what's stopping me and so in this case this person is so anxious about it of course you're not experiencing an orgasm all of the energy and all of the mental energy is focused on like oh my gosh this anxiety and so it's how can we start to address that not like here's a new technique or here's a toy to try and so that being said i'm still going to mention <laughs> something um I don't know. They don't say exactly what their anxiety is about, but if it does relate to taste or smell, which is a really common one, and I want to a affirm that like vaginas and vulvas are supposed to smell like vaginas and vulvas, not flowers, um, and all of them smell a little bit differently, and mm -hmm. that's okay. And at different times of the yeah, month, and, exactly. Yeah. Um, and B, there is this cool new product out there that I'm really excited about, and a lot of my clients have actually been bringing up to me, which always makes me excited um, when they're like, hey, oh my God, have 
have you heard about this? I'm like, yes, but I'm so glad you have. And that is, they're called laurels, and they're basically latex panties. And what they do is they kind of help mask the smell. And so that way, and any smell or taste, so that way you feel all of the sensations from oral, but you can kind of let your brain let go of those like, oh gosh, anxieties. I really love that because you mentioned pussy supposed to smell like pussy essentially and yeah. and taste like and all that <laughs> Amen. and so knowing you can know that yeah. that doesn't mean you're suddenly going to feel comfortable exactly. so it's so good to have tools yeah. to help you ease in because that mm-hmm. might get you a place where yeah. you go actually i'm really turned on by how much for example mm-hmm. my partner is loving exactly. the taste and the flavors yes. and the smells and yeah. i always whenever this topic comes up i just imagine if we were taught that penises were supposed to smell like oh my gosh. flowers. Yeah. There would be so much. It would be cheaper, of course. <laughs> but there would be like the rosy penis products uh-huh. and yeah. there'd be aisles and aisles. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting because mm-hmm. the smells are not that different, too. They really aren't. And, I, you know, there's this expectation that if you are sucking a cock that you just deal with it. But like if you are going down on a vulva, like, nope, nope, it has to be rosy. And, you know... Taste and smell are the most common, regardless of what bits you're sucking on, the most common reasons people avoid oral sex and oral sex, excuse me. And that's also flavored lube is also a great option. And obviously really wanting to look for one like one safe from Sliquid. And I'm naming these brands without having any affiliation, just FYI for everyone. Sliquid's great. I really yeah. like that. It's um, very pure. It is. It's really healthy and nourishing and it ta- the flavored ones actually taste good instead of like tastes even worse. <laughs> yeah. No, I've been there too. Yeah. Where oh, it yeah. tastes kind of like, you know, you have a candy that's supposed to taste like a fruit well, and taste like perfume. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> There's no. some good ones. Liquid doesn't, they don't taste like perfume. Yeah. It tastes like yummy candy. Deliciousness. <laughs> so another listener wrote that they are embarrassed about the pimples on their back and mm-hmm. so often has sex with a shirt on. Mm-hmm. So that ties into body image, of yeah. course. And, and I think we can all relate to that. Yeah. And we, there's a study, I think two years ago now, two or three, that identified body image related thoughts as kind of the some of the most single most distracting thoughts someone can have during sex. It was a really cool study. Um, and I, I wrote about it because I was like, this is so many of us have been talking about this for years. And now, you know, we thankfully have a, a study that's like, yeah, you're right. And we're like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was it was really interesting. And I forget all the specific details. But it was really interesting how they did it to really identify like, yeah, these body image thoughts. And so, you know, this is a journey that, like you said, everyone has to go on with some part of their body, basically. And it's finding love and acceptance for and maybe not even love. Right. I'm not even going to go to love. It's finding acceptance and finding peace. Actually, one of um, one of the food bloggers I follow uh, is her name is Rachel Hartley. And she's she's a dietitian and she does a lot with health at every size and, and mindful eating and intuitive eating. And she recently had a post. It's like how to find peace with your body. And I loved that language so, so much mm. because I think so much of the body positivity language out there is like, just love yourself. And like, if you are someone and I've been there, I know you've been there, we've had so right, who is deeply disconnected or in hatred of your body, going from that to love, you're just never going to do it. It's too hard. It's too much. And so can you start with like acknowledgement of the existence of that body or the existence of whatever you're struggling with physically? Maybe move on to acceptance and maybe move on to peace. And if you like wherever you get along that journey, like fucking celebrate it because that's beautiful and that's healing. And, you know, I think that there also 
the media that we see. Like, how can you find other people? I know Erica Hart did a post recently about some of the acne scars on their bum. And it was, I mean, the the comments just flooded with people being like, I thought I was the only one who struggled with this. I've beaten myself up. I didn't feel sexy. I'm going to start crying. <laughs> um, and just all of these people being like, yeah, me too. Because let's be real. We all get pimples on our ass sometimes. <laughs> like, it's, it's normal. It's normal, so normal. Especially if it's summer and especially if you're working out, right? Like, it, we all get it. And we scar differently. And so can you find other people who are struggling with whatever you're struggling with in your body? And just start looking at them and looking at yourself in a different way instead mm, of only look, yeah. comparing yourself to, you know, the people we were told are picture perfect, societally, yes. conventionally attractive. That's so powerful. And the whole idea of making peace with your body gave me chills. Right? It's I, so oh. much more because it's like I can be a friend with I can yeah. make friends with my body. Yeah. I can make peace. I can accept maybe I can love in a way of you know, proactive care, mm-hmm. but that exactly. you don't have to be somebody because body positivity, again, sometimes the movement is like, you need to be posting selfies of yourself, mm-hmm. like mostly naked, yeah. you know, or flexing yep. muscles or letting yep. roles show or whatever it yeah. is. And as you it's don't gotten have commercialized, to. that's, you yeah. know, as it's been, as it's moved away from the fat activists and the woman of color who started the body positivity and the fat acceptance movements, it's become this like, la la rainbows. And like, that's not what it looks like for most of us. It's so true. It's blood, sweat and tears and breakdowns and and like a slow crawl to maybe I can be with this. And then maybe another slow crawl to, OK, I can accept this. And some of us, that's where we land. And that's OK. Absolutely. And then knowing, too, that we can have immense pleasure mm-hmm. without, quote, loving our body. Yes. And I know that for me sex and sexual pleasure really helped me mm-hmm. heal my relationship with my body. So sometimes it works in the, it goes in both ways, which yeah. is beautiful. It's hard when it's both going the other way. Yeah. <laughs> Cause mm-hmm. one fuels the other, but Absolutely. If, if you are taking those baby steps mm-hmm. to make peace and you are also say exploring with solo mm-hmm. play when you hadn't before mm-hmm. or exactly. more often or mm-hmm. trying new sexy things that feel a little bit butterflies mm-hmm. maybe with the lights off because you're yeah. not comfortable yet, which I think is fine. It's yeah. okay to wear a shirt Start where you are, start where you are. And, yeah. and those orgasms and that connection, mm-hmm. we get so present. Yeah. It's just, it's the most Zen thing I think to oh get gosh, orgasm. Yes. And Absolutely. just to go, that might be your pathway too. Mm-hmm. I think that's really yeah. powerful. And I think um, sometimes, especially early on in these journeys, it's easier to let other people hold that acceptance and love and, and homeness for you. Um, and so if there's a partner, you know, and it, this isn't about seeking external validation. It's about someone else maybe having the capacity to do for you what you can't right now. We even talk about this a lot in business, right? Like having a mentor who can see a bigger image, a bigger vision for your work than you can for yourself because you're so close to it. And so it's it's a really powerful thing that if, you know, if you have a partner who can love on on that back acne and like let let them hold that space for you and let like a little seed just be planted that like okay well maybe i can start accepting this too mm, that is gorgeous Somebody else wrote that they're very embarrassed by the sounds they make in bed ever since an ex demanded they stay quiet. Oh. <laughs> I'm glad there's nothing for me to throw within oh. my distance right now. We're sending this person love. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, so much love. That enrages me. I see red. What The only time you should be silent during sex is when it's part of the fun. 
Like stealthy sex is yes. hot. Stealthy sex can be hot. Playing role playing silence can be hot. No. <laughs> like trying not to breathe because breath is so important too. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to be quiet, yeah. you're also holding your breath and your muscles yep. are tense. Mm-hmm. And then you have self consciousness. Yeah. And to yeah. have somebody have shamed you for mm-hmm. that, which is so heart wrenching and I'm sure applies to many different mm-hmm. scenarios where yeah. something that you're embarrassed about, maybe you weren't embarrassed. Exactly. That's you know? put on you. Yeah. And you're like, oh, wait, am I supposed to care about this? And then you get in your head about it. Right. You and might have even like, loved oh, it about yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, I squirt a little sometimes, you might think. And then somebody says, oh, my gosh, you peed on me. Mm-hmm. You know, like those oh. kinds of tapes can play yeah. up again. Yeah. So. yeah. so I'm so, so sorry that this happened because it's fucking bullshit I, you go straight to like the deep compassion and i'm like i need to be with my anger first. this is why we're yin and yang <laughs> we are we work perfectly together um so like first of all i do invite you to like do whatever grieving and processing of how that made you feel like if someone shamed you for something especially if it's something that you liked about yourself or you never even thought about and it was just this neutral just a part of you like feel your feels around that get angry get sad And, you know, that's really on them. Like, that is on them. And, you know, again, this I think the advice of, like, letting someone else hold some space for you and is really powerful. If you have a partner now who loves those noises, like, invite them to tell you that if that would feel good, like, or encourage you or, like, talk to you or whatever. And the other thing here is that exactly like you said with the breath. So, you know, in porn, we often, especially mainstream porn, we hear this, like, this really high pitch. That was really noise. good. Thank you. <laughs> what can I say? Uh, I was totally on the spot. Um, and you hear that, and it's very the the breath is coming in very like in the chest, and it's very short and rapid. And that's actually not going to lead to a better orgasm. We, if you want to think about taking deeper breaths and like more of a like ah like that deep moany noise, I can't believe I just did that. That was awesome. FYI, okay. thank you. <laughs> I'm like, I just did that. It's fine. Just going out to like how many many listeners. I love it. No shame. No shame. Um, See, and I'm naming it. Sometimes you just have to name it for yourself. I'm turning red right now. You are. (laughs) How adorable are you? Thank you. Anyways, back to my point. The deeper breaths you can take are going to help you experience more pleasure, have a stronger orgasm if experiencing orgasm is in your repertoire, and just enjoy the experience more. And being loud is a part of that. So... You know, start small. I always, always say whether it's body, you know, whatever it is, like start where you are and take like the next tiny baby step that feels a little uncomfortable, but not like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, right? Like not triggery uncomfortable, just like, oh, like, okay, this is scary, but like I think I can like maybe let out like a little baby moan right now, like just a little one and start to reclaim that. Mm. But also, like I said, feel those feels towards that person because no one should put that on you. And that's such a reflection of their probably discomfort with noises. And um, I actually just answered a question, a, a reader question about like, how do I get my partner to talk during sex? So like to make noise and to like tell me what they want and to like share fantasies. And and so it's it's a beautiful thing. Noise is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Unless it, like I said, unless it's something you're playing with. Right. And as you mentioned, practice is so helpful. Mm-hmm. And the first time might be more difficult, mm-hmm. but you do increase confidence and yeah. maybe you're making noise by yourself. I also thought yeah. of our mutual friend and colleague, Dr. Vixen, mm-hmm. Victoria, who yes. teaches orgasmic yoga. Yes. And if you have access to an experience like that, whether it's in a class format mm-hmm. or by yourself where you get to 
let out everything, mm-hmm. you know, just in a really sacred space. Of, it's actually not about orgasm, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, orgasmic yoga is more connecting with your sensual yeah. self. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that yeah. might be helpful as far as because don't you think that our if we are using our metaphorical voices and mm-hmm. our literal voices more assertively in our lives. Yes. It probably relates to the bedroom, too. Absolutely. Every, you know, we, we talk about sex as if it's this thing that's, like, separate from the rest of our lives, when in reality it impacts and is impacted by every other part of our lives. Um, and I'm really glad you mentioned that because even, like, if if in the bedroom making, like, noise is feeling a little scary, like, maybe go to, like, a yoga class where they do some sounding breath at the end and start to make that experience less charged and sex can be a very high stakes it can feel like a very high stakes situation and so if there's something you want to practice you know the more you make space for experiencing pleasure in any part of your life the easier it is to kind of lean into that during part like the higher stakes at the challenging times or the the times where you tend to feel more shame and embarrassment mm. So several people, three to be specific, shared issues around digestive health. Mm -hmm. One was constipation. One was bloating, which may or may not be digestive, but Mm -hmm. is related. And one was passing gas very frequently Mm -hmm. when they orgasm, which we talked about a little bit before. Mm -hmm. Uh, How common would you say these issues are? Super common. And um, one of of our colleagues uh, once talked about looking at like uh, essentially orgasm farts is like a big compliment because it means that someone is just like fully relaxed and just like literally letting everything out. Um, But again, we live in a society where farts are like (laughs) shameful, giggly, like gross things. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, is there anyone who doesn't have some sort of digestive issue these days at some point in their right? Like, right. It's part of all, health, too. Exactly. It's and part then, of health. We're all going to deal yeah. with it at some point. And, you know, I think those are connect- similar but separate issues, right? And so can can you reframe the experience is something that's really powerful, like I just offered around, around the farts. Is there a way to reframe what you're what you're feeling? Connecting to, like, what is the story and, like, who told me it and do I actually believe it or do I just – Am I just feeling this embarrassment because I was told to? Um, obviously, of course, checking in with a healthcare provider to make sure everything is okay. Um, it, you know, that's always a good thing to do. And, um, you know, just <laughs> practicing, actually backing up a step, knowing that, like, you don't have to have sex. There, there's no compulsion to have sex. Like, you don't need to do it. If you're not feeling great, that's okay. And it's okay. It's okay to say no. And I often will tell, especially my my longer term couples who've been together a while, like have sex before you go out for dinner, because often like after you go out for dinner, you're kind of maybe feeling like lethargic or full, or maybe you have a stomach ache from eating richer food than you're you typically eat. And so like, if you maybe you go to bed at night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you could get you, you're yeah. much more likely to feel mm-hmm. ready to kind of turn in. Yeah, exactly. as the night goes on. Exactly, and so you could think about like changing the time when you have sex instead of just being like, oh. And the last thing I want to say is, you know, think about willingness to have sex versus like, oh, I'm feeling myself and therefore I want to have sex. Like, could I be willing? And are there some boundaries around that? Whether that's, you know, I want to have a shirt on, like with the last, you know, the other example, or. 
I don't want to like I want us to just masturbate next to each other instead of having intercourse or or kind of partner sex where there's a lot of touching of each other because I'm not feeling really great in my body, but I really want to have a pleasurable experience. So, you know, how you have sex and and what you do and what you don't do are really up to you. And when you have it, it's totally up to you. And there's lots of workarounds for all of these. That agency is so important and so empowering just hearing you talk about that. I felt so much because in every interview where I've talked to someone about their sexual empowerment journey, mm-hmm. there is this this point. Usually it's a, a gradual thing, but they have these epiphanies along yeah. the way, and they all have to do with agency. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah. I get to choose whether or not I want to have sex. And then I also get to relay that, yeah. you know, to speak about mm-hmm. it. So much of what you do and everything you've been sharing today relates to permission, yeah. giving ourselves permission mm-hmm. and and really shamelessly going for pleasure. Yeah. I call it fucking the shoulds. Like, just fuck the shoulds. They don't help anyone. They don't support any of us. They don't help any of us experience more pleasure. They just, you know, they, they just add this heap of embarrassment and shame that, for most people, shuts us down, shuts our connection to our bodies, to our pleasure. And it doesn't have to, right? We can we can really break free of that. It's not always easy, and I know no one wants to hear that, but it's fucking truth. I'm not here to lie to y'all. So <laughs> um, it's not always easy, and it's not always, you know, a fun process to go through. But um, it doesn't have to be painful. It doesn't have to be this, like, oh, struggle. It can be something that's a peaceful process and a letting go and a releasing. And rewarding. And, and then finding the reward. Yeah. yeah. And it can be rewarding along the way, too, mm-hmm. because every time you – own your pleasure every time you you put up a boundary around what you want to and don't want to do every time you you fuck the shoulds and say like you know what no it doesn't matter how many times I have sex it just matters that my partner and I are happy with whatever that number is you gain a little bit more sovereignty you gain a little bit more agency and that that trickles down into every part of your life your relationships you know I love my my favorite story is of a client who her first homework was to take a five-minute walk on her lunch break. And I love telling this story because she she told me later, she's like, I basically thought you were crazy. And like, why did I just pay you money to tell me to do this? And But she trusted me because she was like, whatever, I signed up for this, so I'm going to do it. And two weeks later at our next call, she's like a different person. She was like saying no to shit at work that wasn't – like she would often – she worked in a pretty male-dominated environment, so she would get asked to do admin stuff a lot and – she was asking for what she wants and carving out time to work out and cook, you know, and it was it was just amazing. That's amazing it how over. it that someone would come to you for they're looking for sex help, uh-huh. right? They probably oh, Google yeah. sex help or yep. something or like mm-hmm. their sex they thing, did. and and they're looking at you like, wait, what? Am I supposed to like vi- use my vibrator on this walk? Or no, no. I was <laughs> like, no. just go. And if it's raining, I was like, just sit in the lobby near a window, just like get away from your desk for five minutes. And it was the catalyst for just everything. Mm. And we work together twice now, and like, it's <laughs> I don't like I don't have words because it's yeah. just such a. That's why it's so helpful feeling. to work with somebody mm-hmm. who specializes. Yeah, because as you said, if you go to a, a general practitioner of some mm-hmm. sort, and everybody has skills they bring to the table. Absolutely. But because so many people have shame around even mm-hmm. talking about sex yeah. they might not want to tell their therapist i'm looking for mm-hmm. help in the yeah. sex and intimacy department mm-hmm. and if you don't go to someone who knows yeah. how to look for these specific things yep. it's very nuanced yeah and you know i always say like we we lionize healthcare providers right and there there's 
some truth to that because they do they work really hard and I'm not diminishing them. And also all of us are living in the same shamey sex negative soup. And one of the things that sex educators and therapists do as part of their training is specific exercises and programs and events to examine that shame, to take it out and look at it, to figure out like what are my boundaries within this work? What is going to not be you know ethical for me to work on because it's going to bring up too much of my own shit and that's always a moving target? And so we go through the very same process that we often then take our clients through. And because we've done that work, we're able often, right, and I'm speaking very broadly, but because we've done that work, it makes us more able, I should say, to help other people and identify like the underlying pieces versus, you know, say a doctor might get an hour or two of sex in their entire medical training, sex education, right? And they haven't gone through that process for the most part unless they've sought it out. And that requires a lot of extra work for them. And some people do it, and that's amazing. But, you know, same thing for general therapists or couples therapists, right? It's it's just – it's a different skill set. It's not better. It's not worse. It's just different. That's such a good point. And I think it's helpful for people to know that because I think when we're in a difficult situation, especially if we're really struggling, it's hard to do even that emotional labor. Oh, my gosh. To to – look for the support yep. you know so if you know what to search for mm-hmm. i think that's that's really really yeah. helpful and the more specific you can be in your searching the better you can get you know yeah. find help yeah. and it might not be local you know it might not always be covered by insurance but it's always worth a lot of us also do this work to help as many people as possible and so we'll do sliding scale and you know we'll do things to make it as accessible as possible how do we start to pinpoint what the internalized Mm. bullshit that we do have (laughs) is because it feels to me like it can be very subliminal and so so embedded in our like dna almost Mm -hmm. and it's never right it's never about sex anytime someone comes to me with a question about sex and like i would say 95 percent of the time just like in the case of the client that i shared like it's not actually about sex it was about agency and so i think I am a huge fan of journaling. I, I assign journaling to almost every client. I use it. We use it in my women's group. I do it in my workshops, like I, journaling all the way. And so journaling, especially when you're actually using pen and paper because it engages your brain differently than typing or using um, like a stylus on a tablet and kind of just starting where you are. And so like I have low sex drive, right? That's a really common question. Or I'm embarrassed about X. And then just kind of asking, okay, what else? Okay, what else? What else? And just continually just spending maybe five minutes and the entire time just what else? Where did this come from? And really, again, kind of taking it out and looking into it and just let your intuition guide you and just keep what else, what else, what else, what mm. else? And that will help you get under, get more underneath it than just like, oh, I have low sex drive. I must be broken. Right, which is only the surface. It's only the surface. And it's, it's the start of the search. Exactly, and it's a yeah. painful, painful. I don't want to diminish that that's a really painful place to be for a lot of people. Some people are like, whatever. But a lot of people are like, no, I, I want this to be different. And so helping, getting underneath it and figuring out where did this come from is really powerful. I love that you brought up journaling, of course, because I'm such a fan of it. <laughs> and also, you're I'm, featured in my journal. I, I was like, that was not planned. That was not planned. 
at all. Just like my bio, like talking about shame. I was like, oh, we didn't write that bio for today. I was like, that worked out well. It worked out. <laughs> Things are snapping together. I know. So, I'm so excited for I your loved, I can't wait oh, to fucking get it. <laughs> yay. Thank you so much. And I loved what you shared. So your section, it's it's full of stories and the story about you, you share expertise as a professional and also you talk a bit about bringing play and fun, mm-hmm. which I think is so important, especially when we're feeling embarrassed about oh things gosh, or we're dealing yes. with chronic illness or if we have, you know, somebody said they have chronic constipation. Mm-hmm. That's not like an occasional thing. That's yeah. something they're living with and it can start to make sex feel heavy. Oh my gosh, yes. And you're, you're very, I think, skilled. One of your um, kind of magical superpowers is you are very good at the play <laughs> and the fun you. and and the dancing, yeah. <laughs> impromptu dancing. <laughs> so for somebody who is feeling like it's heavy, mm-hmm. what are some ways to start feeling the play and the fun? Yeah, I think taking a step out of the routine is really important. And so I often talk about doing like everyday adventures instead of we often think about like a new experiences with a partner or with ourselves have to be these big, expensive, timely, costly, blah, blah, blah to do's. And they don't. It can be as simple as like ordering takeout from a new place instead of like your go to. And it's a little bit harder to do because you got to have to like look at the actual menu and like figure out how to order and versus like, you know, your your standard takeout place, you know what to do. Um, but it could be switching sides of the bed taking a new route to work, like these little things, because what they do when we break out of our routine is it causes our brains to release a bunch of dopamine that helps us look at the world in a new way. Literally, it sharpens our, our vision when it comes to colors, sound, right? Like it sharpens our senses. It um, gives us that like fluttery new relationship feeling. And it could literally be as simple as, like I said, switching beds, like switching sides of the bed or something. Um, and so... Get out of your routine would be the very first thing to do. Consider not having sex for a little bit. And by by that, I mean, I don't mean don't be physically intimate. I mean, whatever the thing is that you do regularly and that there's pressure to do, an expectation to do, stop doing that for a little bit. And take time to kind of re-explore and learn what feels good and what doesn't. And know that, again, that's always changing. Our bodies change so much throughout our lives. And I think the thing with health issues and chronic illness is it forces us to face that in this really big way. And we we don't want to because we were kind of sold this, like, fountain of youth bullshit. And so when we're forced to face it, it's like, holy shit, what, what do you mean? Like, I have to deal with this thing now. And, like, how I can't – things can't stay the same. Things never stay the same. And so – you know, how can you just break out of that routine, take take the thing that's causing pressure away and out of the equation and focus on what brings you pleasure. And one of my favorite ways to do that is um, I kind of call it a sexy date night in. And, and you can do it solo. You can do it with a partner or partners. doesn't really matter who's in the room and who's not. And it's really just kind of going head to toe and figuring out like what feels really good when when touched, when nibbled, when licked, when sucked, when kissed, when massaged, when pinched, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Have fun with this. And what doesn't? And do more of the things that feel good. And maybe, you know, for the person with constipation, maybe anything around their belly or their ass is not is like just feeling like setting off alarm bells. And that's okay. Don't worry about those areas for now. Focus on the parts that bring you pleasure. And you might discover so much. Oh my you gosh, also you might... always, everyone discovers. And do this yeah. regularly because, again, your body changes all the time. Totally, totally. And I love that idea of 
pausing your mm-hmm. usual because it also might bring this beautiful anticipation of mm-hmm. missing it. Exactly. Or you might not miss it, which exactly. is interesting to learn too. Exactly. And, you know, again, like not, not being genital focused, not being orgasm focused, just like focus on the pleasure and the playfulness. And it's so interesting because when, um, when I do workshops, uh, I often will go around and do introductions and I have this like little truth or dare sticks that I'll have everyone answer a truth for as a, as a little icebreaker. And one of them is, do you prefer sex that's like giggly and playful or like sensual and passionate or something like that? It's not the exact language. And everyone is always like, I don't want giggly sex. And it kind of breaks my heart. And I don't say this in the group, right? I don't say this to the people. I was surprised by that, actually, when you said that mm -hmm, just now. Because I was like, no shame, right? Like, you get to have what you have. But there's something beautiful when you can laugh during sex. Not laughing. You're not laughing at each other. Right. It's just like, you know, the butt plug didn't go in the right way. And it's kind of silly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Or like toy goes sliding across the room or something weird. You know, it's, you know, when my hip popped out, we burst out laughing. And it was so painful. But also in that moment, I could like collapse and feel ashamed and embarrassed or be like, holy shit, my hip just popped out. This is ludicrous because it is. It's ludicrous. And we were like, really going at it. I mean, we weren't even. That's right. Like, that's the thing. It's like it was, wasn't even. And then I was just like, I just rolled over and was like, just finish. I'm going to just lay here because I know like it's a ludicrous situation. <laughs> but I was like, I can't move. Like, I'm, I'm kind of frozen right now Aww. until my like body comes back to like. But like, you go ahead and like get your pleasure and like. Well, you hit me up another time, right? <laughs> and it's it's silly, and it's, there's something so beautiful about laughing during sex together. Yeah. And so I invite that playfulness, invite that playfulness in, and don't be afraid of it, and don't, you know, these stories that like sex has to be serious and and sensual and passionate, and like it can be lighthearted and fun and silly and giggly, and that's it's just different. It's normal and wonderful and different. And how can you have some more of that? Mm, yeah. Your team, you and your whole team, have been really working on this incredible relaunch of your website. (laughs) I've seen the beginnings and already it's it's really lovely. Thank you. Would you share a bit about the inspiration for the the changes? We, you know, when... When I first started selling sex stories 10 years ago, this was not the plan. And I've, I've talked about this a lot, right? Like, I, I needed to make some money. I needed to make some money fast. And I was like, okay, I'll peddle dildos and that's how I'll do it. That's the best visual. I know, right? I was like, whatever. It's like the ice cream truck, but full yeah. of dildos. <laughs> um, and over the years, as this work for me has evolved, has has become a calling, I it's really reassessed, like, what serves people best and what I found is particularly for the people who are coming to me and resonating with me is a, a safe and brave space to explore and to dip their toes in and to and to figure things out and to ask questions and get answers. And so with the the relaunch and, and overdoing the overhauling the website, we really wanted essentially the website to capture exactly what I do when I'm working people with people one on one or when I'm working in kind of those small group workshop spaces, which is well, come on in. Here's a space where you can show up exactly as you are. Ask whatever the fuck questions you have, even if there's a little voice in your head saying like, oh, my God, don't think that. No, 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 stop. Right. But like you can do it because we've established that you can do it and just kind of hang out a while, <laughs> hang out and explore. And, you know, at this point, there's like 200 and some odd articles on the site answering 
all types of questions from low desire stuff to butt stuff to G-spot stuff. I think I have like five articles on the G-spot. I'm like, how did I write so much on the G-spot over the years, right? (laughs) Yeah. Because there's so many different perspectives on it. And we really just wanted a, a welcoming, again, safe and brave space. Yeah. To like feel like, okay, I can I can explore here. Because, right, you can't be brave unless you feel safe enough to be brave. And, um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's it really does what feel, we wanted. It does feel safe. It has a very elegant magazine feel to Thank it. You. Whereas some sites, you don't really want to hang out. Yeah. It, you want to go to the thing they're directing you yeah. to. And it and it's it's very delicate in the way that it you know like your, you. your your new logo for example is suggestive but it's so like subtly suggestive yeah. Yeah. and my vaginas yeah. <laughs> your vaginas yeah shout out to laird oh my gosh Zaper, by the way memphis mckay mm. wonderful website genius fucking best yeah yeah and we just you know we wanted a place where people could get what they needed and maybe that's counseling. Maybe that's an article, right? Like if you come and you read an article and it changes your life, great. Wonderful. And if you come and you read an article and you're like, I have no clue how to fucking apply this to my life. What else can I do to learn how? Great. That Those Keep are exploring. all beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Keep exploring and like, let's see, like, here's here's your options and just really making it easy for people to get what they need because we just live in a world where it's too hard to do that these days around everything and especially around sex because of the shame and embarrassment. And how can people work with you? Yeah, so again, everything is on the site. Um, Passionbykate.com, K-A-I-T. There you go. Thank you. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I'm in New York. So if you're local to New York, one of my my favorite days of the month is my Coffee and Kegels uh, Conversation Women's Group. So I'd invite you to that. And if you're not in New York, you know, again, head over to the site, see what resonates, search around. And I promise you the site will lead you to what you need. And so if you're like, oh, actually, I need to go more in depth, you can you can learn more about the counseling services, the workshops and and whatnot. But it's it's all there. It's a nice place to be. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining me Thank and for you. the incredible work you do. Thank you. Now to switch gears a little bit and go back to things we might feel self-conscious about during sex. Today's listener question comes from Gabby, who wrote this. This is embarrassing, but here goes. I have been faking orgasms for about two years. My boyfriend and I have been together this whole time. He has a very small penis, and I have only ever come through intercourse with someone who has a bigger penis or with a sex toy that is also on the bigger side. I suppose this is more like a confession. Anyway, I would love to hear your thoughts. Gabby, I first really want to validate your feelings and honor your bravery and vulnerability in sharing. I think people, especially women and femmes, are shamed for faking orgasms, but there are so many different complexities that can make them seem like the best option at the time. And I get the sense that you're going for really compassionate reasons here. You're used to experiencing climax in a particular way and haven't been able to do so. And it it sounds like you don't want your partner to feel bad for not really getting you there, right? Which brings me to a really important point, which is it's so easy for us to think that orgasm is something that somebody gives us or does for us. But in reality, orgasm is something that we can invite for ourselves and experience. It's not something that we are given. And there are so many ways to bring on pleasure. Here's what Dr. Megan of GreatLifeGreatSex.com had to say. Gabby, You know, I'm really glad that you're asking this question, and I certainly hope that you know that you're not alone. A lot of women, unfortunately, are faking orgasms, and, you know, 
it does contribute in a sense to the orgasm gap. And, but the most important piece here is it, you're asking this question because you want to turn the tide. And I think that's the most amazing piece because however one falls into that circumstance, whether it's because they are feeling self-conscious or they're really focused on their partner and wanting to make them feel confident or all, or, you know, may have found it challenging or difficult to reach an orgasm for many, many ways in which a woman may act as if, or feel like she's faked one is the opportunity as you're exploring now to let your partner know. And in real life, right, do the exploration and the curiosity and the trying new things on to figure out and to figure like how to have that orgasm in real life, right? So first of all, part of me wants to say that I want to normalize the perspective that two thirds of women don't have an orgasm with penetration alone, because I think, you know, Hollywood and a lot of the images, especially in porn, et cetera, we get this idea that, you know, in a sense, quote unquote, what's wrong with me. And so when, if anybody listening, um, either is challenged and hasn't yet had an orgasm or has one with external stimulation or oral sex, but not with penetration. It's just to recognize that, you know what, you're perfectly normal. In fact, a great book always to reference around this is um, by Emily Nagasaki, Come As You Are. And so again, I think that anybody who's struggling with orgasms, that's a great reference and just to normalize your own personal experience. But coming back specifically to your question, so part of me wants to know, like, okay, is it just through penetration that you faked it? Like, is he able to bring you to orgasm with oral sex or external clitoral stimulation? Or what about G-spot? Like, even use his fingers internally. Like, what are the different ways that you guys even explore turn-ons, arousal? Um, and again, is it just in the capacity or in the context of uh, penis and vagina sex that you're faking it? And so when you want to come clean in a sense, I think it's so say, first of all, there's options here. One is just to sort of say, wow, I'm not even, you know, express your vulnerability, your conflict, your confusion, and just sort of say, you know, there's a part of me, I'm not even sure how we got here. And this is a really difficult thing for me to share. And I hope you know that I'm really coming from the best place because I really wasn't sure how and in what way to bring this up. Um, so you sort of want to start the conversation and sort of set the tone that, you know, this is not an easy thing for you to be sharing, but again, the, your positive intentions and then letting them know that, you know, you're sort of not even sure in some ways how you got here, but you do know that you haven't been having orgasms or not consistently. And the reason that you're sharing is because you really, really want to explore and discover that together. I think it's also true that another option is to sort of say um, from the place of exploring and wanting more pleasure and not necessarily having to say at this moment that you haven't had an orgasm, but just sort of whether you're listening to Girl Boner or you read it in Cosmo or Redbook or online that, you know, aren't we all up for having my, my version, right? It's a great life with great sex. So, you know, in that vein, there are a lot of things you haven't yet tried and you want to explore together. And when I say this, it's also to recognize that, you know, sometimes, because you mentioned that your partner is small, listen, again, hands, mouth, it's not just about penetration. And even with penetration, I think it's a lot about angles um, and positioning. But that being said, listen, there's also penis sleeves and sheaths. 
as well as dildos. So, you know, you could just sort of explore that also. It's like, again, as I often say, tools in the toolbox. So is that something that he'd be open to or want to explore with you? Because again, it's about sensation. You know, at the end of the day, let's not forget, um, good sex is about giving and receiving pleasure. It's not even about orgasm per se. And so in the vein of wanting to feel more pleasure, you could sort of say, these are things... I don't yet know, I haven't yet tried, I'm curious about, and really get a sense of what is he thinking and what might he want to do and or try on. Because, you know, as I often say, our biggest sex organ is our mind. And so the possibilities are really limitless. So you really have the, you know, thinking about what is the right choice for your situation. Do you really want to say, hey, and just sort of own that this is a really hard, challenging conversation? And really tell him the historical piece and or even do you maybe want to do another version of that, which is just starting from where you are now, focusing on just enhancing and increasing pleasure and ways to do that. These are both, in my mind, equally, you know, good options. You are your own expert and you only know what feels right like the right next step and how to introduce or explore this with your partner. But the biggest thing I want to take away for anybody, for you and for anybody listening is that, first of all, whenever we fake an orgasm, we're not giving our partners reliable feedback to know how they give us pleasure. And it may also be, we don't yet know, right, how to achieve an orgasm. And so this is something we're like in it together, right? We're in the thick of it together. Um, But that ultimately having these open, honest, frank, can be challenging, right? Vulnerable conversations, but it is through that, that you're going to have an opening up the possibility to explore both mentally as well as physically the turn-ons that ultimately are going to give you more pleasure and ideally more orgasms. So as always, would love to hear how it goes. Dr. Megan is so right about how common orgasm faking can be. A pretty recent study published in the Archives of Sexual Behavior involving hundreds of college-age people, 64% of participants admitted to faking an orgasm at least once. That included 41% of the cisgender men. I'm a big fan of honesty, but if revealing the whole thing and having that conversation feels too intense, and it might because you're concerned about self-consciousness, right? Um, I love Megan's idea of trying different things. Maybe you could say something about desiring more or different kinds of pleasure for both of you because you're feeling curious. Because I do think you're curious. It sounds like that's why you wrote. You could also suggest taking orgasms completely off the table for a while. Say, I just want to see what happens if we kind of just not not necessarily avoid it, but explore other kinds of pleasure and just see where things go. And you might both be surprised by what happens. If you do share that you're faking it, I, I'd probably point out that you do experience pleasure and make it more about you than your partner, if that makes sense. There are also some sex toys you could try. You could have your boyfriend guide a toy that you do experience orgasm with, or you could show him how it works on yourself face-to-face, which can be very hot. And there are toys that add to penis size or make erections harder and more pleasure-centric for both partners. I hope that helps, Gabby. I'm wishing you all the best and all the orgasms you deserve. If you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, please hit subscribe in your podcast app if you haven't and leave us a rating and review. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. 
Girl Boner Radio is owned, operated, and executively produced by me, August McLaughlin, with technical producer and audio extraordinaire, Mackenzie Mazel, as part of the Period Podcast Network, an affiliate of Starburns Industries. Learn more about the Girl Boner podcast, brand, movement, and book series at girlboner.org and more about Period at periodnetwork.com.